morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thanks for your company for a brand new week right here on SEN 11.70am in Sydney, wherever you've got us on the SEN app. Hope you had a great long weekend, a busy one for me. Lots of sport to digest. Partly cloudy today, a top of 29 degrees in the city of Sydney and 33 in our west. I'm going to give you your sporting fix on this Monday morning, but also pose some sporting questions to you. In particular, around cricket, test cricket, the West Indies performance, the series itself. Some big questions, I reckon, for us to ponder this morning. In the NFL that's underway, the Kansas City Chiefs have a 10-point lead over the Baltimore Ravens. So the AFC Championship match is into the third quarter and the Chiefs 17-7 as they look to go into another Super Bowl. San Francisco 49ers against the Detroit Lions coming up in uh, about an hour and a half's time. So let's see what happens here between the Ravens and the Chiefs. We'll keep you across that as we head towards Super Bowl 58 on the February uh, Sunday, February 11 at Allegiant Stadium. What's coming up this morning? Barat Sundarayson has been following, of course, the great storylines that have come out of the West Indies win from yesterday up there at the Gabba and the series so far as we now go into the ODIs. But the Windies have won their first test in Australia since 1997. It was absolutely got to be there, watch it, be glued to your TV screens. Now, weirdly enough, there's a bit of a change in the TV ratings as of today. And they won't, they won't come out until later on this morning. We used to get them at about 9 o'clock. And they won't now come out until later on this morning. And they've jiggled it around. It's all internal stuff. But there'll be big numbers, I reckon, that end up watching that. And they now take into account more accurately, hopefully, um, streaming, video on demand, all of that kind of stuff. Very different story at the Gabba itself. My first question was, where did everyone go? I mean, two, the first two days, great crowds, but then everyone disappeared. <laughs> would, would, did they just think that the test was going to peter out? Did they have more to do in Brizzy on the Sunday afternoon? Or are they just not interested? At the end of the day, we got a thrilling final, thrilling finish to that one, an amazing outcome, but a couple of questions, which we'll get to in just a second. Barat will join me. Very, very soon. Brett Phillips, as we wrap up the Australian Open of 2024, Yannick Sinner, that's incredible. What he did last night and what he's done through this tournament is absolutely incredible. And we speak so often about momentum on this program. Momentum's great when you've got it, but there's always somebody there to try and stop it. And last night, Daniil Medvedev couldn't stop it. Medvedev has been out there for long, long, long matches that's right, more than 24 hours on court. Yannick Sinner, on the way to the final, dropped one set, and that was against Novak. Talk about being hot. He finished 2023 like that. He started 2024 as a major winner. And the big question now is, what's next? We know Alcaraz is there. Sinner's been knocking on the door. The next generation is coming through, and Medvedev, whilst he's cracked it once, should have cracked it more times. He's now one and six in Grand Slam finals. Arena Sabalenka breezed through hers in the end. Kind of a non-event. There wasn't much drama around that one. She just rolled on through to claim her second Australian Open title. So BP will give us the wash-up. And Ben Damon from Fox Sports and Main Event TV will join us as Tim Zhu locks in another fighter. His first fight in Las Vegas 
not a title fight, but Keith Thurman could well and truly open the doors to the world for Tim Zhu. Now, let's get into our sporting headlines and sporting questions this morning. I want you to be part of this on 0457 736 736 as I look up and see a replay of one of the Ravens players going over the sideline and taking out one of his teammates or somebody in the Ravens organisation and a couple of others. 17-7, the Chiefs lead. one 1170 is the open line number. Buy into this. So the Frank Worrell Trophy which has been an esteemed trophy that the West Indies and Australia have been fighting for for a long, long time, was already retained by Australia after the first test match. Yesterday, of course, a thrilling win by the West Indies. The series ends up drawn at one all. The Frank Worrell Trophy stays in Australian hands. However, when we get to the podium yesterday, the Windies going nuts, their massive celebrations... And then the Aussies come up and lift the trophy. And as Alison Mitchell, you would have heard in commentary on Seven and across radio, said a massive anticlimax when the Aussies were called up to lift the trophy. This isn't poo-pooing anything, by the way. So jump off the poo-poo train. (laughs) She said massive anticlimax when the Aussies get up there because the West Indies deserve to be on the podium to share it with them. And she poses the question, is it time to do away with retaining a series trophy? two-match series, at the end of the day, sport loves a winner. Somebody's got to be a winner. Well, we had a winner in the first test in Australia, a winner in the second test in the West Indies, and the overall trophy goes to those that have won it before. So is it time for us to look at this and go, why do we do away with retaining a series trophy? Why do we need to be have a trophy retained? What's wrong with having a drawn series? In the Ashes, we've had 73 series. Australia have won 34, England have won 32, and seven have been drawn. The last two in England have been drawn. But, of course, Australia retains the Ashes, which is great. Somebody's got to have the trophy, according to law, as in L-O-R-E, law. That's the way it's always been. Someone's got to be a winner. Remember I told you that Crash Craddock from... News Limited pointed out a couple of weeks ago in one of his opinion pieces that maybe we look at what the Australian women have done in their series, in particular against India, where there's a cumulative points awarded for a series. I'd be open to that because we're now about to go into the ODI series with the Windies. And that would serve a couple of purposes. One, the Frank Worrell Trophy's still alive. So it adds more weight to the series that's about to come up. Don't you reckon? And it avoids the the anti-climax that we saw. And then someone's a winner at the end of it. So it, it is decided on a point series. I'm open to that, but I'm open to your opinions on it as well. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. Or give us a call this morning, 1300 01 1170. If you want to challenge that, challenge it. If you're okay with a retaining of a trophy, let me know. But why? And what about cumulative points for series? It works for our women's teams. And what do you think about former players, Aussies, who are especially in commentary, who celebrate emotional wins like yesterday for the opposition? You would have seen it and heard it already, especially if you're on social media or you watch the coverages that we had Aussies in commentary boxes 
who share the delight of the people that they're commentating with. The West Indian greats who sat there with tears in their eyes and got all emotional about it, which is absolutely fine. But not if you're a former Australian skipper. Have a listen to Tim Payne this morning. I, I get it from a fan's point of view. It annoys me when I hear past players commentating and almost barracking. I find that oh, really hard to listen to. Tim, that was superb it was. yesterday. It was awesome for the West Indies. It was not great for Australia. No, it wasn't great. It wasn't but... a great performance. And I don't like... I just don't like it. It feels a bit uncomfortable. It's like, why are you barracking against your team that you played in? It's a fair question. And it's a question that you're allowed to ask, especially when it comes from a former captain's perspective, somebody who's been in there. And that's the competitor coming out in Tim Payne. So, and he's now in the media, so he knows what it's like now. But he wasn't sitting there next to a former West Indian great who's been through the mill, who's watched it all and celebrates it with him or her because of the the absolute jubilation that comes from those that you're sitting next to. So I, I get both sides of this one, but I think that this comes down to, I reckon there's a clear thought process from former players and especially a former Australian skipper who defends his team no matter what, and goes, no, stuff it. We didn't win the test match. If you're an Aussie, you shouldn't be celebrating. And then I get those because I've worked with people like this who celebrate those that they're working with. Very different scenario. But you can let me uh, know your thoughts on that. 0457 736 736. What do you think about former players celebrating opposition wins? So it's their first win, West Indies, in Australia since 1997 and their first test win against Australia since 2003. They ticked all the boxes yesterday in the most unlikeliest of wins. Did Australia look a little bit fatigued? Perhaps. Yep. Were they outplayed? Well, they were out Shamar joseph We know that much. <laughs> this guy's come out swinging. And he said that he'll continue to play test cricket no matter how much money they throw at me in T20 cricket. cricket. I say, let's watch and see. Wait and see. (laughs) Let's watch this space on that one. So should we be focusing more here on an incredible victory by the West Indies and celebrating it? Or should we be asking the questions, what happened to the Australian team in this one? Where did that winning mentality that swept all before them go? Everything was there in place. They just couldn't get the job done in the heat in Brisbane. Did Paddy Cummins make a mistake by declaring early on day three? At the end of it, what was it? Eight runs. So you could argue the toss on that one. Is the Steve Smith, Cameron Green scenario working for you? Well, Steve Smith answered that yesterday, and I reckon so too did Cam Green, who, by the way, came into this with COVID, remember? So they had all sorts of curveballs thrown at them, but there are still plenty of questions, I reckon, for us to ask. And don't worry they'll be sitting around asking them. The Australian team aren't going to wake up this morning after losing that test match and go, well, that's great for test cricket. Awesome. We played our part. No, no, no. They're going to go, what the heck happened? Why did we lose that test match? And who needs to be held accountable for it? If you've got those questions, let me know this morning as we approach quarter past nine uh, right here on 11.70 a.m. in Sydney. Meanwhile, talk about a double whammy for a cricket fan in Australia. The Windies beat us and then England beat India. In the first test in Hyderabad. An update there, thanks to Edgewater Homes, build with confidence. England won by 28 runs. 
So India fall that margin short after having a lead of 190 after their first innings. And how's Tom Hartley? Well, Ollie Pope knocks out 196 in the second English innings with Ben Duck at 47. But Tom Hartley on debut, the left-arm spinner, who had two sixes taken off him in his first ever over in Test cricket in the first innings and could well have just put his tail between his legs in India, gets seven for in the second. Seven for 62. An outstanding performance. So at the Australian Open, after three hours and 44 minutes on court last night, Yannick Sinner comes back from two sets down in the final to come over the top again of Daniil Medvedev and claim his first Grand Slam title. He's only the third Italian male to win a major title in tennis history. The first, Nicola uh, Pietrangeli, rather, won two, but that was in before the Open era. Adriano Panata won the French Open in 1976, so he's the first in the Open era, and now Sinner becomes the first Italian male to win the Australian Open. And for the first time since 2005, the winner is not from one of the S's, Serbia, Spain, or Switzerland. <laughs> so that's a fair old run that's come to an end. Medvedev played 24 hours and 17 minutes, including that second round 3.39 a.m. finish. But the most damning numbers or figures for Daniil Medvedev are these. He's now a three-time runner-up at the Australian Open. Andy Murray was, what, five? But he's a three-time runner-up at the Australian Open, and he's one for six in Grand Slam finals. He's been beaten by a 22-year-old who's been on the tear but you wonder what the man who is number three in the world has got to do to take that next step into multiple major title territory. Meanwhile, Lorena Sabalenka's there. Goes back-to-back, one without dropping a set the entire tournament. Her longest match in the two weeks was an hour and 42. That's a drive to work in Sydney. And that was the semi-final win over Coco Goff. She had two matches that were done and dusted within an hour and her shortest match was done within 52 minutes. We've spoken about anti-climaxes. I, I think that that was it. I mean, I watched that match on Saturday night. It didn't do a great deal for me in terms of drama or anything around it. It just seemed as though that was the way that it was going to pay, uh, pan out. Zheng put up a, a good fight, 6-3, 6-2 in the end, and it was always going to be difficult for her. But Arena Sabalenka motors on through and Yannick Sinner is the champion in the men's after 2024. 18 minutes after 9 o'clock, 0457 736 736 is my text line number, or give me a call on 1300 1170 on the open line. The Kansas City Chiefs have a 17 points to 7 lead over the Ravens inside the final minute of the third quarter as they try and book another place in Super Bowl number 58 we're up to. Uh, let's get to some of your text messages. Good morning to you, Matt. This is from Dino uh, from the Gong. Personally, I think both Cricket Australia and the captain need to focus on winning cricket games and stay the hell out of politics. Bunch of Muppets. Wow, that didn't take long, Dino. Um, I don't think what the discussion around the Australia Day stuff had any bearing on, on what happened, Dino. I see where you're, where you're taking the argument straight away. But the fact of the matter is... You can sit around and and try and link comments around Australia Day and all that kind of stuff, which are completely separate to what happens when they cross the white line and go, okay, what, was Shamar Joseph part of that? 
Was he part of that discussion? Did it make any difference to him? No. It was one of the great individual performances off the back of one of the great stories, which Barat will uh, focus on a little bit later on. So that's, that's the part here that they were, they were just out jagged, out zigged and out zagged by the West Indian team. And wasn't it great to see the fight in the Windies because nobody saw it. Nobody saw it coming. I didn't. I thought that there'd be two things that had to play in that, in that second test. The weather, I thought, wouldn't let us get to the end of it. And I thought that the Windies would be horribly outplayed again. And they weren't because I wondered where the fight was going to come from. Well, it came from somewhere and they ended up getting the result. Dive in and let me know. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Like I said, let's pose some questions this morning. Put it all on the table and see if we can sift our way through it at 20 minutes after 9 o'clock. Welcome back. A couple of questions that we've already raised on this Monday morning. Is it time to do away with retaining a series trophy? And then there's, I reckon there's a couple of disclaimers underneath that one. Would you do that for the Ashes? No, because the Ashes are the Ashes. But the Frank Worrell trophy, which used to, I, I think I'm speaking correctly here, used to, and especially in my era of growing up, had a lot more weight behind it because of what Australia and the West Indies were doing at the time and the great history that we had. However, the more recent history has seen the Windies fall off the radar up until yesterday. So when we're looking at a series trophy like this, when we're only getting two tests out of them maximum, then is this something that you could think about for particular series? And I think that the question too around where we're heading with test cricket and, you know, the big three, Australia, India, and England, and a lot of people saying, hey, it's not going to be too far down the track before we just end up with those guys and the others are second tier. I mean, I would love to see New Zealand. I think it's very important that they stay in that. So if we are going to end up with us and them, and them being Australia v West Indies every couple of years and the Frank Worrell Trophy, and it doesn't have what it used to have because that's the way of the world at the moment, then why not have a look at it? I'd much rather see the Frank Worrell trophy live on than die off. So is it time to do away with retaining a series trophy? And what do you think about former players celebrating opposition wins? The emotional side of that to me resonates. I get it. But I also get the side that says former Australian players hate to see that stuff. They hate it. And that's the competitive side of them coming out. We put our poll on Twitter as well. So at Matty White, SEN, go and have a look at that. And you can vote on this poll because I really like to know just in sheer numbers terms, are you in favor of getting rid of retaining a series trophy? And we are throwing it out there for all series. So it's actually at 58% at the moment are in favor. So voting yes, more than uh, no. Kansas City Chiefs still 17 points to seven. We're into the final quarter of the first championship match. So uh, we've still got one coming up starting in an hour's time. And that'll be the 49ers against the Lions. But just taking a look at this one, early days in the fourth quarter, 17 points to seven. The Chiefs lead the Ravens and oh, chance there for the Ravens to touchdown but that was knocked out just on approach to the line so I reckon that one is going to be denied and we'll keep our eyes on it back to your text we go Matty rabbit foot here good morning to you rabbit foot is there 
an easier job than being a tennis umpire. <laughs> All they do is keep score and say, please, when the crowd gets boisterous. Do you know how much they're paid? Because I'm going to come out of retirement. I don't know how much they're paid. They travel the world. They're on the circuit. Um, and I, I guess the flip side to what you're saying, Rabbit Foot, is we see the part that where they say please and keep score and all that kind of stuff. We don't see the day-in, day-out grind of putting up with the the dramas that they've got to put put up with. So there's your match umpire and then there's your referee and then there's your tournament director. Which one would you rather be? And let's not forget, you know, when you're crossing paths with these players week in, week out on tour and you make a bad call or you make a call that player X doesn't like, then you've got to put up with him or her for the next time around. The question about how much they're paid is a good one. Alex, I reckon you might do some research on us uh, on that one for us. What is the pay packet for a tennis umpire? And thanks to Rabbit Foot, there's another question. Is there an easier job than being a tennis umpire? What's the easiest job in sport? We love the fact that we start a week with all of these questions, some serious, some not so. So let's take a tangent off you, Rabbit Foot. 0457-736-736. What do you think is the easiest job in sport? Uh, come and join that conversation. Brad Sundarason will join us after the news. Let's head to the SEN newsroom. Thank you, Vanessa. Score remains Kansas City Chiefs 17, Baltimore Ravens 7 with 13 minutes to go in this final quarter of the AFC Championship game. Winner to go through to Super Bowl 58 and face the winner of our second match coming up a little bit later on this morning, 49ers v Detroit Lions. So we're posing some questions this morning off the back of a stunning win by the West Indies. In the end, it was eight runs, an absolute thriller at the Gabba. Barat Sundarason joins me on the line. Morning, Barat. I mean, you've seen a lot, mate. Uh, we've spoken a lot about incredible performances in cricket, but at the end of the day, I reckon the side of the Windies just tearing off in all directions at the Gabby yesterday <laughs> afternoon was one of the great sights. It was. Uh, and uh, I suddenly went from 38-year-old Barasun who keeps his cool in most cricket press boxes around the world, uh, to that 8-year-old uh, who all, all he wanted ever in life was for the West Indies to win growing up in Mumbai, strangely. Uh, and I was jumping up and down that moment when uh, the uh, Hazelwood stump uh, was uh, sent for a walk by Shamar Joseph. No, I just, I, you don't even know where to start, right? I mean, there's just a, uh, a miracle at every corner in terms of storylines. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it, it it does start and end with Shamar Joseph in some ways, Mary. It's like, you know, the guy, kid comes to the ground, doesn't even know, or in fact, wasn't even supposed to come to the ground. And then he gets a call up and he says, okay, I'll come. He's sitting there in nothing but his maroon cap <laughs> and his shoes on because he's left his clothes behind. Uh, and then he jumps on the field and produces one of uh, cricket's great performances. I got to say, Barat, you know, sometimes you hear when the backstory is pushed so hard in sport, you go, oh, okay, mm. is that all we've got? But the backstory from Shamar Joseph, which you've been right across, is absolutely amazing. And then the turnaround and the performance has been extraordinary. And then you throw in all the other stuff into the mix. I mean, the toe everything to go mm. with it. I saw a tweet that you put out, I don't know if it was this morning or last night, but you know, it wasn't that long ago he was walking down Rundle Mall in Adelaide. Nobody knows who yes, this guy yeah. is whatsoever. Well, everyone knows who he is at the moment. 
you know, and I did uh, think of the uh, the couple of guys at the cricket store where I took him to buy him the arm guard, and I did tell them, hey, this is uh, this guy's going to play test cricket in two days. He's the next star of West Indies cricket. I also thought of my wife, who I said the same thing to when uh, I had to uh, ask her to jump out of the car because I needed the car that after Sunday afternoon, <laughs> and I introduced Shama to her. Uh, so at least she knew that you know she was doing it for a good cause. And I don't think at that point anyone, including Shamar and me, could have imagined this is how it's going to play out, mm. right? Firstly, he takes a wicket with his first ball last week of Steve Smith, his idol. Then he takes five wickets in that innings, makes the uh, 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 30 runs. Uh, it turns that test match around. And then uh, he, he, uh, he comes here, like I said, um, and, and does that 10 straight overs. He bowls before the break uh, on a hot day. And you could see him in between overs. He was limping. He was, uh, he was struggling to walk. But you give a ball, uh, or he throw the ball to him, he was running in and getting quicker and quicker. And the one thing that I remember vividly from uh, the time I interviewed him in Adelaide is he always has a cricket ball in his hand. He sleeps with a cricket ball. You know why? Because he's not used to it. He's not like every other cricketer who's grown up with it. He's only been introduced to it nearly 14, 15 months ago. And that's what it uh, means to him uh, to uh, be playing cricket. And he never held a pink ball before uh, coming to Brisbane. And look what he's done the first time he's done it. Mm. For a man who's come from a village that didn't have internet five years ago, I wonder how how is cricket going to protect, if that's the right word, losing a player from test cricket like Shamar Joseph to the big dollars of T20s. And he said himself in the heat of the moment yesterday, no amount of money is going to stop me from playing test cricket. But the reality is that there's going to be a lot of money heading his way. So what do you see then in the future for somebody like Shamar Joseph, given the importance of where it sits in the future of Test cricket for the Windies? Uh, the one uh, one thing I would say is uh, he just has to look down the the, the other end uh, at someone like Alzari Joseph, uh, who has been in Shamar's position, uh, though, I mean, he's come through more uh, a, a more uh, regulated platform in that sense, if that makes sense. He plays junior cricket, plays uh, in the Under-19 World Cup for the West Indies. Uh, and uh, he's, he's come through the ranks and played all forms of cricket. Uh, and he still continues to show up for the West Indies every time, despite already going for a lot of money in all these uh, leagues around the world. In fact, he just He's coming off a million-dollar contract yet again in the IPL. So uh, if Shamar can just be inspired, and, and like you said, at the moment he said that, uh, and it, it was his uh, incredible setting where uh, Shamar Joseph and Craig Brathwaite are doing a press conference, which is being recorded live by Brian Lara, who's recording all our questions as well. So I don't know where that video is going unless Brian Lara is making his own little documentary. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I was trying harder. The guy, all I ever cared about growing up was Brian Lara. And like, so when he was recording the press conference, Maria, I, 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 I just like tune up my humor as well, just to like you know stand out with my questions. <laughs> I thought you, I thought you were going to say that you were recording Brian Lara recording the press conference when you should have been doing the press conference. I know, right? They, I didn't even realize you stood behind me till Shama Joseph mentioned it in the press conference. But I, I, I just, just going back to your question, I think um, he can do both if he wants to, because unlike England, Australia, India, I mean that's. Almost the flip side of it, because West Indies don't play as much Test cricket as the the bigger nations, they can afford to have players like Alzari and Shamar who can play all these formats and yet uh, you know make some money. Because I mean he's headed to the UAE. Hopefully his foot recovers in time, uh, and he's already got a contract in the ILC20. He'll be playing 
uh, in the ILT20 in less than three days' time if his foot recovers in time. So um, I think the balance can be found in that sense. What's the balance Australia needs to look at? Because rightfully, we're looking at the performance of the West Indies here and they beat us fair yep. and square. I, I did mention earlier, if there's if there's possibly one thing to look at, it might be a little bit of fatigue. Not sure, because it's been a long and very successful year and seasons for the Australian team. So I, I wonder what the debrief is going to be. It'll be brutal, no, no question about that, because they don't yeah. like losing test matches and they don't like losing ones that they shouldn't be losing. Yeah, I know very much so. And uh, it's been a very interesting summer that way, right? If you look back to uh, every test match that's happened after Perth. Perth was like, yeah, once David Warner made that big 100 and they got to 400, it was pretty one-way traffic uh, for large parts. But ever since that happened, in Melbourne, they were in a precarious position. Mitchell Marsh bailed them out. There was that drop catch. In Sydney, they conceded the first innings lead. In Adelaide, they were in a precarious position. Then Travis Head makes that 100. And here in both innings, uh, it it happened, right? In three uh, proper innings for Australia in this series against this West Indian team, they were six for 150 at some point. Uh, and Andrew McDonald, uh, you know, and uh, the others have spoken about how Australia has made a habit of, like, you know, coming out of these situations. And they have. I mean, think back to Edge Baston and a few other test matches, even in India. Uh, but the fact that they're finding themselves in these situations more and more on home soil against, uh, let's face it, unfancied opponents uh, is, is something that they will they will look at. The batting has just been inconsistent. Uh, right, uh, right from uh, uh, the top to, uh, to the bottom. I mean, you've got just two test hundreds. Uh, David Warner on day one and Travis Head, like I said, <clears throat> playing a very Travis Head innings in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Yes, there were a couple of 90s here and there. Uh, but, but you know, uh, Manas going without 100, Usman Khawaja going without 100. Uh, Steve Smith still, like, finding his feet. One of the great innings from Steve Smith, yes, yesterday. But I think um, uh, it, 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 batting seems to be uh, our consistency with the batting. Uh, albeit on slightly sporting pitches this time around, uh, is a thing. I mean, this was supposed to be the summer, wasn't it, uh, Manny, when the batters were supposed to cash in and make up for what they maybe missed out on in India and England. Yeah, 100%. Hey, just a final one. We've been discussing this morning, posing the question about, is it time to do away with retaining trophies um, on series that end Mm. up like this? I mean, it's going to be a a discussion and there's many different points to it. But where, where do you sit? The Frank Worrell Trophy deserves its rightful place, in my opinion, in Australian sporting history, and it yeah. has a great place. However, you, you wonder whether the option of making it a cumulative point series like the women have been doing might add some, might add some weight back into the Frank Worrell Trophy. Uh, yeah, I guess. But now with this test win, it suddenly goes back. Uh, I, I was for it, like you know, I was like, yeah, maybe it does make sense. Uh, till yesterday morning, and like you know, now that uh, West Indies have pulled off that win, uh, I guess uh, we, we might not need that. But I, I will tell you this: what did st- uh, like you know, because I was there at the Ashes as well when um, uh, Australia kind of uh, walked onto the podium to pick up the urn. Uh, it just felt a little, uh, and you could see it. They were they had these sheepish looks on their faces, just like they did yesterday. When again they got onto the podium, and I thought, wouldn't it be apt if both teams were called onto the podium together? Yes, okay, Australia can retain the Frankfurt Trophy, uh, but just you know, shouldn't they be both like it's one all? Uh, it's West Indies' day. Shouldn't they be on the podium as well? I mean, don't mm. don't worry. Anyway, like they waited for everything to clear, and they did take over that podium for quite a while uh, later later in the night. But 
uh, I just felt like that kind of uh, rankled more than, uh, you know, the, the future of the Frank Borel Trophy. I think it's more a question of how often these two teams play each other, right? Yeah. I mean, there is a two-test match series that uh, Australia will play in the Caribbean uh, sometime next year. Uh, so or or the year after, so uh, that will happen. But uh, I guess yeah, it, it it was a little it was a little strange watching the Australian team just stand there uh, after such a uh, unexpected defeat, their first ever defeat in a pink ball test as well. Yes, I think that's been buried under all the other narratives. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just hang around there with this trophy and then just have to walk away quickly uh, once that was done. Mm, you're, I reckon you're right though. I think everything changed in that discussion as of yesterday certainly good on you mate great to catch up uh, another great test fantastic to listen through now look at, uh, ahead to the one day international series which starts down at the mcg on friday uh enjoy the rest of your day barat we'll speak soon can't wait maddie thank you so much you have a lovely day you too barat sundarason there so covering a whole whole range of issues 0457 736 7-3-6, inside nine minutes to go. Final quarter, Kansas City Chiefs 17, lead the Ravens 7 in the AFC Championship game. Uh, we've got a contender for easiest job in sport. Off the back of Rabbit Foot's question asking whether tennis umpires had the easiest job. I, I would argue no. By the way, we did some digging around the money um, because you posed the question, you know, not sure how much they earn. So if you're on the, if you if you're a high level, tennis ump and you're on the tour and you're doing all the big ones, not just the challenger stuff, you're looking at around about 100, 150,000 US and on the road the whole time. And then it drops to an average of about 80,000 US. So not bad, not bad. You are on the road the lot. And, and not only did I say, you know, not only do you come up against or you start to meet the players who you start to have history with and possibly bad history. Let's not forget too, that a lot of these tours you're all staying in the same hotel. The umpires will stay at the same hotel that the tournament puts on for the players. Now, your Novaks and all that will go and stay in their houses and do all that business. But your everyday players, week in, week out, <laughs> you may well have cost player X a couple of rankings points, a couple of hunch, whatever it is. Next minute, you're in the lift with them, heading down to Brecky or up to... <laughs> How does that one go? Easiest job in sport, no name on this, but says uh, has to be a lifeguard at the Olympic swimming, which is a good shout. And a lot of people say, well, what the heck are they doing there at our major swimming championships? Like, what, why, why have lifeguards there? Mostly for medical reasons, for medical episodes, for instance. So, in fact, if you go and have a look at um, the warm-up pool, for instance, it's madness. Like you can easily swim into somebody there, whack your head and you're in trouble. So that's the the short reason as to one of the main reasons as to why. But fair shout, easiest job in sport. I'm happy to continue on with that today. Paramat says, Matty, I was cheering the Windies to win yesterday, but I'm not a commentator or a past captain. And that's a key point, Paramat, well said. But even those guys have a heart and want the best for test cricket too. I wonder how many people yesterday were celebrating Test cricket, you know, and and the fight being put put back into Test cricket. I reckon that's something that ends up in a discussion an hour later, or when a columnist writes a column an hour later, or on the run perhaps. 
But I don't think in the heat of the moment they're thinking this is great for Test cricket. I think they're thinking this is great for West Indians, uh, for the West Indies. This is a great performance from a team that's not expected. This is David and Goliath stuff. And then the debrief happens. So it is a double whammy. But I think your point, Paramat, was the point that I was trying to make. Not being a commentator or a past captain, past player, is a key consideration in this debate. And that came off the back of Tim Payne saying this morning at SEN down in Tasmania, he wasn't happy to see former Australian players in the commentary box hooting and hollering that the West Indies had won. Even, even given the fact that they're sitting next to and working with former West Indian greats, who are celebrating with the emotion. Matt from Ipswich says, declaring didn't lose us the test. Great West Indian bowling and poor batting lost it. Very fair point. Paul from Wynnum says, guys, it'd be awesome to see a third test now the series is tied. Hindsight's a wonderful thing in sport. Schedule's another. There's your problem right there, folks. So the one-day series will begin on Friday down at the MCG. And that'll roll into Sunday. I'll be calling that at the SCG right here on SEN. So looking forward to that. And then the third ODI is at Monica Oval in Canberra, which will be next Tuesday. So three ODIs in a row between the Australian team and the West Indies team coming up. And you've got to say that there's a little bit more zest around that one. No doubt about it. And they'll have their swagger. Those West Indian players will have their swagger big time after the celebrations of yesterday. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 01 1170 is the open line number or 0457-736-736. Pedro says, I'd like to apply for that tennis job. Uh, see resume below. The resume says, quiet, please. Yeah, that's fair enough. Probably get your start. Welcome back. Second hour of the program. A big welcome to those joining us on SENQ 693 for the first time this morning, so welcome back to our listeners on 11.70am. It's all going on on this Monday morning. We've got NFL underway. Two and a half minutes left of game time in the AFC Championship match between Kansas City and the Baltimore Ravens. And at the moment, the Chiefs lead it 17 points to 10. So a seven-point margin with a couple of minutes on that one. Game, team, uh, game time, as I mentioned. That will roll straight into 49ers up against the Detroit Lions. So we've been posing our Monday morning questions this morning off the back of the cricket yesterday at the Gabba. Um, the fantastic performance from the West Indies. Tim Payne this morning on SEN in Tasmania has had a bit to say where he said, I don't like the fact that we've got former Aussie players celebrating. In fact, let's start there. Let's have a listen to the former Australian captain. I, I get it from a fan's point of view. It annoys me when I hear past players commentating and almost barracking. I find that really hard to listen to. Tim, that was superb yesterday. It was awesome for the West Indies. It was not great for Australia. No, it wasn't great. It wasn't a great performance. And I don't like... I just don't like it. It feels a bit uncomfortable. It's like, why are you barracking against your team that you played in? I don't like it, he says. (laughs) I don't like it. Now... A couple of things on this one. We, we understand the emotion of yesterday. And I understand through first-hand experience when you're sitting next to people who have been there and done it and representing their country and you work with them. But I don't understand what it's like to be a former Australian Test captain. Would have loved to have, but didn't get that far. However, I can see Tim Payne's point of view on this because I can see him say, hey, this, this, this is really burning me to the core. I don't like to see anybody 
celebrate an Australian loss, let alone former players. So it's a really interesting one, a tricky one. We're getting both sides of the argument on this. 0457 736 736. That's my text line number or 1300 01 1170 is the open line number. And the other point of discussion raised coming into this test match after the first test and raised again after yesterday's result or perhaps changed a little bit yesterday's result is, do we do away with retaining trophies? Do we perhaps look at a cumulative point series? We're now going into three ODIs. Do we look at doing that to keep the Frank Worrell trophy series alive? Or are you okay if it's a drawn series and you held it before that you retain it? And is retaining as good as a win? I don't know. Don't know. In this instance, I like the thought process around making it cumulative points to keep it going. Not disparaging anything that happened yesterday with the Australians. They get the trophy. They're the rules. Good on them. And that's what they had to do. They'll be burning badly because of a loss. And they'll be trying to unpack that deeply because of that loss. However, for the Frank Worrell Trophy series and for the way that West Indian cricket has been in particular and those series have been over the course of so many years, over a decade and a half, that perhaps it's time to look for something else for those other series that sit outside now, your Ashes and Australia v India and all that kind of stuff. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number on that one. And what's next for tennis when we look at men's singles in particular? There's a new guy in town. Now, he was already there, Yannick Sinner. He was already there, top five player, starting to knock over the best, beat Novak Djokovic a couple of times at the back end last year and then beat him again in the semifinal. You beat Novak, chances are you're going to win a major at the moment. And that's exactly what he's done. So does this open the floodgates? We're not getting rid of Novak's era, unless you think it is. But does this open the floodgates like it did when Tiger went off the boil in golf? Now, when Tiger went, the number one, it was a number one lottery. Step right up, step right up. And remember, when you hear and speak and see and talk to the people who were going up against Tiger week in, week out, they openly admitted that quite often they were playing for second. So a lot of the mindset stuff went out the window when Tiger wasn't there. And that changed the game completely. Now we've got these young players that are coming through and arguably against guys that should have been stepping in. You would, you would rightly say that Daniil Medvedev, if Novak's not going to win the Australian Open, Medvedev should be winning it. So he's now 0-3 in Grand Slam tournaments at, in Australia. He's 1-6 overall. He's now won the same amount of Grand Slam titles as Yannick Sinner. That's an interesting way to put it into perspective, isn't it? Carlos Alcaraz is only one ahead of them. So where next for Sinner? What does this do to boost perhaps his charge in 2024? Do we have to start looking at the script a little bit differently? Brett Phillips will join us for that one. one 300 01 1170 is the open line number. If you're not happy with the West Indies win, Tim, you've fallen out of love for the game. That win was the best thing for test cricket since sliced bread, says the Logan Warrior. And yes, but let's make the point, Logan Warrior. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, I don't like to see former players 
celebrating an Australian loss. That's what he was getting angry about. Not so much angry, but that's exactly what he was saying. Matty, disagree with Payne. That Windies win is great for cricket. Without competition, the game will die. I'm a proud Australian, but I was rooting for the Windies and I loved it. So did I, Matt. So did I. The easiest job in sport. That's another one that came up this morning. We love posing the questions here and they just come out of left field sometimes. The easiest job in sport would have to be a Tom Brady talking to her. That bloke could stand up at the podium, not say a word. He'd get a standing ovation and a few million. Uh, Trent Copeland had a lot to say about that this morning. He was there last night. Right, let's see what happened and, and what the future holds for the world of tennis. Brett Phillips, good morning to you, mate. As we wrap up the Oz Open, I guess the big question now is, because we've we've unpacked uh, everything that happened over the weekend, what next for Yannick Sinner? Yeah, well, certainly not going to be uh, a one-off. Uh, Maddie. we know that. I mean, he's um, you know been building for this moment to be a Grand Slam champion. I mean, you know, I can't remember a tournament with so many uh, five-set uh, epics, and uh, it was the perfect finale last night, perfect shot to finish off the match with a, a forehand up the line. That forehand was devastating uh, throughout the tournament. So, look, there's no doubt that he's become, going to become a multiple Grand Slam champion, what that number adds up to. Uh, that's uh, all ahead of us, and... You know, Roland Garros, when I think of the clay, I mean, that's a surface that he's grown up on in uh, northern Italy where he's comfortable. Uh, the grass of Wimbledon, we know he's gone deep there and, you know, he loves the hard court. So a bit like Alcaraz, Matty, I mean, he'll be able to play, um, you know, great tennis at the slams on all the surfaces. And, you know, obviously you've, you, you know, you've got to lay some foundations. And he have been to the quarterfinals of all the majors, but this has been the big breakthrough to actually uh, win one and he just looks so sure of himself and he, he, look he, yeah two sets of love down wasn't ideal uh, last night that can happen in a game of tennis uh, pretty quickly and it took him a little bit of time to settle in although Medvedev was outstanding early but you know the man who spent more time on court at the Australian Open than any other player in history uh, yeah, the physical effects certainly told on Medvedev as that match uh, wore on but yeah Yannick Sinner you know, get used to him lifting uh, you know the big trophies in the sport. You've seen plenty come and go throughout the course of, you know, of Grand Slam tournaments and especially at the Australian Open. And BP, by virtue of the fact that we're the first major of the year, we often see Grand Slam careers start right here. Novak won his first here. Martina Hingis won a first here. I mean, we've seen it. Now Yannick Sinner's won his first here. So there's something very special about the Australian Open. But what do you think it does to a player once he or she wins their first Grand Slam, whether it's here or on the clay, do you see anything different next time around? Yeah, not necessarily uh, different. But I think it just gives them vindication that, yeah, I, I can win the best matches, you know, when it counts the most. I can be clutch under enormous pressure. I mean, the, you know, often we see, a, you know, a stack come up in these big matches, you know, the pressure points and um, uh, how they're sort of measured. Uh, and, and just the, the real crucial times last night, Sinner showed us why he sort of, has set himself apart from other players. Just shot selection, um, just being in a really good space, uh, you know, not overall, just calm, just methodically working through the scenarios that were in front of him. And, you know, it's he's just got the makings of um, a, a champion in the sport over a sustained period. And you've got to have a great team around you in uh, tennis. And he had a great team. And then he adds in another element called Darren Kale. And then the whole thing just comes together. His physical development, yes, um, you know, he looks skinny. But he's actually added a lot of muscle on in the last uh, 12, 18 months, particularly in the gym. And, you know, the forehand improved, uh, the serve in particular, getting more free points off that first serve. 
Yeah, but when you win one of these big majors, I think it just gives you a vindication. Yeah, I, I can absolutely win these, uh, and you feel comfortable out there in those big pressure finals. Perhaps one of the most pertinent questions this morning is around Medvedev. Um, what next for Daniil Medvedev? He's he's zero for three in the Oz. He's one, uh, one and mm. six, so one for seven in Grand Slam finals. So, what does the future hold for him? What does he need to do to turn that around? Well, look, he did so much right uh, last night. I thought, you know, tactically in the first two sets, I um, mean, his return position shifted considerably. Normally, it's, uh, you know, you can't even see him in the in the camera um, clip, and and then he was up right on the Melbourne sign in front of it there, taking the ball early. So there was a big shift uh, in trying to, you know, dictate the court early. He didn't want to be ideally uh, be going through a five-set battle when he played so many five-set matches coming off that uh, semi against uh, Zverev. Look, the, you know, the, the margins are just you know, really, really small. I mean, what the Medvedev game will see him, you know, up in the top 10. I don't think he'll drift away. Uh, he brings so much to the tennis court that, you know, he's going to maintain that ranking. It just goes to show how tough these matches are to win. I mean, you've got to be able to go the whole journey in a in a five-set battle. And, look, he's not doing a hell of a lot wrong. But in saying that, his window is much narrower because he has not been a good player on the clay or the grass, really, uh, Matt. That's when the two services, we haven't seen the best of him. So his opportunities to win slams have come in Melbourne or, or New York. So that, that's that got to be the step up. At 27, you know, he's still got a window to have some success, but... You know, he wants to start doing that at all four majors rather than just two of them. Mm. Arena Sabalenka, is that the perfect tournament? Yep. And there's more to come. I think, you know, she'll uh, she's the one capable of, um, you know, maybe getting on a little bit of a tear and, and peeling off two or three majors in a year or certainly at the Australian Open, uh, maybe becoming the queen of Melbourne Park. Who knows what uh, that, could, that number could turn into. But she feels so comfortable on a hard court. But all the slams, I mean, she's been the best-performed player at the majors now for a couple of years with, you know, semi-finals or beyond. And she'll keep improving that forward part of the game, uh, the forward part of the court. Uh, her, her firepower is unmatched in the game when it's on. It's just the best. Um, and, you know, the serve, obviously, is in pretty good nick. And she'll just add the touch and the variance to her game and keep working at that aspect to make her the full uh, all-court player and got a great team around her. She's confident about what she's doing and uh, she's an intimidating force in the game. So to me, um, I think, you know, she's the one to catch, to be honest, even though technically she wakes up this morning still as the world number two. Mm. And Jenga, of course, uh, wakes up this morning as world number 10, which is, um, you know, always a, a trigger point for a player's career. Just a final word, mate, if I can, on Matty Ebden. Rob, Bapana, we've spoken about that connection, and Bapana's yep. been around forever, 43 years of age. But there's there's a great tradition of Australian men in men's doubles uh, at at Melbourne Park. Yeah, look, these two could go on to have a great year again to match uh, last year. They're just inspired. Um, all the experience they bring, they've just uh, they just complement each other so well. So I'm really wrapped for Matt, who is adding some real polish uh, to the, the back end of his career. And, and Rohan, who knows how long he'll keep playing. As long as he keeps getting those uh, regular massages, uh, he should be right to get through another 10 years, I reckon, the <laughs> he's uh, playing at the moment at 43. But And I know that Matty has been really strong. He's a, an advisor to the ATP Player Council. He has demanded that doubles now gets more prominence. Uh, maybe change the product a little bit. So we get a full house at the slams always watching uh, the doubles, where it's scheduled, and then the type of product that's put on the tennis court. He's challenged the ATP and the Grand Slams to ever think about that. And I'm, I'm glad he's you know, vocal about the doubles. It deserves a, a bigger billing for mine.
Yeah, good on him. Good on him and congratulations to Bapana as well. Thanks for uh, everything in the last couple of weeks, mate. It's been fantastic to talk tennis with you. I love it anyway, but when we get to do it on the yep. back of that Grand Slam, it's absolutely awesome. Hope you get a good rest. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Well, the first uh, back uh, tonight, yeah, we'll be back for our 16th year on SCN. So talking the world of tennis, 8 o'clock on 11.70, and we'll do it all the way through to November. So, yeah, a little, little spell, uh, but not really. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm talking about a nana nap today. I reckon you're okay to lock in a nana nap, and then you'll be back in action tonight. Good on you, BP. Thanks, mate. Pleasure. Thank you. Brett Phillips joining us there. Yes, first serve back tonight. So, Everything from the world of tennis, one of the absolute best in the business, was calling last night um, all the way through those last couple of weeks. He's, he's seen them come and go. And when you hear somebody like Brett Phillips say, Yannick Sinner's going to be lifting many, many more, pay attention, folks. He was saying the, the same, like a lot of tennis experts were saying about Carlos Alcaraz in particular many, many years ago. But that's the new face of tennis, new faces of tennis now. The Kansas City Chiefs are through um, into Super Bowl 58. So we've got a final score there of 17 points to 10. The Ravens are out. Next up will be 49ers v Lions. So the Chiefs go through yet again. Let's have a listen to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, they brought everybody. Um, they were going to challenge us, and the guys stepped up and made plays. I mean, God put us a lot of adversity in our way this year, and we accepted the challenge, and we're come better for it. I mean, it's, uh, it's been a heck of a year. We're not done yet, but this is the, this is the way to get there. Speaking of challenges, you were told last week that you couldn't win on the road, and then you come in here, underdogs. We spoke. You gave me that look. I'm sure that added extra motivation. The satisfaction that you get from headed to your fourth Super Bowl in six years. Yeah, no, it's been a heck of a year. Um, we've been underdogs for the last few games, um, but we never feel like underdogs. Uh, we got a lot of guys on this team that know how to win. Um, and when playoffs came around, I knew we were going to make it happen. And uh, now we're in the Super Bowl, and the job's not done. we got to go out there into Vegas and uh, play a great team and see if we can go out there and get the Super Bowl. I love him. I love Pat Mahomes. I love the way he talks. I love everything about him. So they're into the Super Bowl again, uh, fourth in the last five years. It's the first time they've won back-to-back road playoff games since 1969. So they've been on the road. They've knocked over back-to-back, and here they go again. Pat Mahomes can become the fourth quarterback in NFL history to win three Super Bowls in a five-year span. Tom Brady, Terry Bradshaw, and Troy Aikman. Wow. Who will they take on? Well, we're about to find that out over the course of the next few hours as well because we'll swing from the AFC Championship to the NFC Championship game. The San Francisco 49ers, last time they made the big dance was back in 2020 against the Detroit Lions who have never been there. So we have to wait and see, and we'll keep you across that as that gets underway in 10 minutes' time. We'll get a start from that. But the Kansas City Chiefs are into Super Bowl number 58. Celebrations underway for the Kansas City Chiefs as they claim the AFC Championship. So into the Super Bowl they go. Don't forget, you can catch every NFL game this season with Game Pass only on DAZN. Go to GamePass.com, so NFLGamePass.com, and attend Australia's official Super Bowl boat party. On Sydney Harbour. Tickets are available at nfl.com slash au. nfl.com slash au. So the boat party for Super Bowl Monday. Not a bad way to do it. 0457 736 736. It's 26 minutes after 10 in Sydney, 26 after 9 on SENQ 693 and our Queensland listeners. Uh, let's get to your text messages. Past players, this is from Abbas, past players and our ambassadors of the game. 
a sport that made them household names, barracking for their underdog or encouraging test cricket to continue to grow is a wonderful reflection on the past players and their ambassadorial roles that they now have. Pretty well said. Can't argue with any of that. Um, there's the emotion of it all. And then there's, then there's that side that says, <laughs> you should not barrack against Australia, especially when you've worn the baggy green. <laughs> um, what are we on on Travis Watch? Uh, not Travis Watch, Taylor Watch. Alex, I mean, you don't want to buy into it. She's down it. She's there as part of the celebrations. Mm. So Travis Kelsey's just been on the podium. So we're into post-game territory, obviously. And we're continuing now the cutaway shots of Taylor Swift. So she's she's come out of the the box and down onto the ground, and they can't get enough of her. Let's get a let's get a cam count going on Super Bowl Fifty Eight. I'm so over this story. <laughs> we started it last year. I remember the first game after it had come out, and we were watching it in here, and it. Yeah, it yeah. was um, tiring then. Now it's, yeah. Let's yeah. focus on Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, yeah. let's leave it that sporting well, context. So, you know, he's three Brady. and five, three and five. Tom Brady, Terry Bradshaw and Troy Aikman. I yep. mean, that's pretty illustrious company for, you know, the team that Michael Wilborn for quite a while was calling the dynasty of one, one of the most overrated teams of all time. The Chiefs, I think, have, have blown that mm. uh, assessment I, out of the water. I'll tell you what the NFL are very good at capitalizing. Yes. They're very, very good at it. They know what they've got in that. It's taking them to a different dimension and they're going all in on it. And as much as it drives me and you nuts, they're lapping it up. Because they're in the culture, Matt, which is all part of lapping it up over there. And, and believe me, if you're in that job of taking the camera shot of Taylor or not, and you opt for the latter, Mm. you're not in that job for long. No, that's right. (laughs) That's right. <laughs> Directors are only doing one thing. Correct. So that leads us to the Lions against the 49ers. So we'll continue uh, to keep you with score updates on that. Easiest job so far this year is something that was thrown out there earlier this morning in sport. And uh, one of our listeners posed the question is, being a tennis umpire the easiest job? Because all you've got to do is say, quiet, please. And here's the score, according to Rabbit Foot, our listener. We've now had a nomination for lifeguard at the Olympic swimming <laughs> or any swimming event. Clubhouse leader. Uh, club could be clubhouse leader. Uh, here's one from Tony. Easiest job so far this year has been team motivator. And congratulations to a job very well done, Rodney Hogg. I hope the Calypso lot sent him a slab and some nibbles nuts as fair payment. <laughs> I love the response. Mm. Hey, what We've seen this all the time. When did we see this in Origin a couple of years ago with the uh, the worst Queensland Ta- team ever to pull Queens- on the jersey? Yeah. I believe there was a News Corp Cherno and uh, Paul Gallen. Yeah. So well, DCE referenced that, remember, in the speech. That's right. So, Rodney Hogg, you're in yeah. esteemed company, yeah. sir. Yeah. Well, is it an easy job, though? Because you've got to know when to, when to pull the trigger on that. Mm. The timing's the thing, the isn't timing's it? The timing's the thing. Mm. You can say anything. It's the timing that matters. Another shot of... Uh, Taylor, Mm. which is a good time for us to go to the news. Thanks, Vanessa. Now, if you haven't heard the the Rodney Hogg team motivational speech, let's have a listen to exactly what what he had to say. Let's not beat around the bush. They were hopeless. Uh, We should have two divisions now. We can't have these weak sides coming out here. Mitchell Stark with a brand new pink ball, he's going to run straight through them. 
Um, so I wouldn't think the game would go any further than three days. They're pathetic. Well, I look back at the West Indies of old and we're down stretching on the ground and they're running past in speedos and I'm going, gee, look at their muscles. These days, the West Indies, they'd be running past in overcoats. <laughs> it was a fair spray. A fair spray. And, and you've got to think at that stage too when he said that. That was on Channel 10. And that was back, what, now a week ago. It was this time last week. I mean, you'd, you'd have to say that you'd, you'd, be, you'd be betting against the fact that it would come back to bite him. <laughs> but it did, which meant that not only was there the whole reaction that we've just got, you know, thanks for motivating them, but Craig Brathwaite had this to say. I must say, we had two words, you know, that inspired us in this last match. Mr. Ronnie Hogg said we're pathetic and hopeless. So, my, so, so that was our inspiration. We wanted to show the world we're not pathetic. And I must ask him, are these muscles big enough for him? <laughs> Which is a fair response. So a fair spray and a fair response. And in that p- uh, particular instance, 15 love, the Windies are ahead. Let's see what uh, Hoggy Scott when we come into the ODI series. Steve Smith. Um, put up a, a gallant performance yesterday, carried his bat all the way through, just shy of a century, would, been, would have been more interested in making sure that they were there at the end to get those extra eight runs, but he ran out of partners. You know, we were going along all right, nice partnership, Greeny and I, and then Shamar came out and bowled like um, a genius. Um, bloke in his second test, um, just putting the ball in the right areas and getting something out of the wicket that probably the others weren't today and um, that was a pretty special bowling performance and he just kept coming. It was it was incredible. I always believed that we could get there. Um, you know, Josh is no mug with the bat either. Uh, Gary's been batting as well as he has, I reckon, in his career and, you know, played well in the first inning. So, you know, plan was kind of with Gazza just to bat normally and then when Hoff got out there to try and take four balls and, and leave two for Hoff and, you know, maybe I shouldn't have given him two against Shamar with him on fire. That's questionable perhaps but gets tough when it, when it gets down to that period there it was a tough test match the conditions were extraordinary throughout it i mean it was brutal along the, along the way he had his problems steve smith physically out in the field as well and cramping up and sweating buckets i mean it was a it was a tough test match and i've got to say an unexpected test match sure the result was absolutely unexpected but but when you look at the way that that test match played out, would you have would you have put your money on any of that unfolding? I wouldn't have. You never know, but I I just didn't see that one coming. And the moment that the windy started to dig in, that was the first sign. The moment that they bounced back from five for early on, you're going okay. Well, there's fight here, and if there's fight here, there's hope here, and if there's hope, then they're always in it. And they backed themselves the whole way. So I didn't certainly didn't see the way that it was going to unfold and I didn't see that outcome. And I'm glad that that's the way that it turned out with the fight. I hate the fact that Australia lost a test match, especially this Australian test team. But, but, that's what sport's all about. Wonderful moments like that, incredible images like that. And we've got a good history with it, with the West Indies. You know, it's very, very different. I don't think we'd be sitting around saying test cricket's in good hands if that was an English test last night. No. Believe me, I would have started this morning the show, opened up the open lines, and you guys would have gone gangbusters for three hours straight. 
but a very different scenario. 0457 736 736. Statsy on our text line says, uh, seriously, Matty, and great to hear you again. Well, happy 2024 to you, even though we're a month in. Why don't we give all cricketers uh, a smiley stamp for competing? No way in the world should we have tied series measured as split. If you've done the hard yards and won the previous series, the losers have to work harder in the next series and win it clearly. This is around, should we do away with retaining trophies? Surely the holders of the trophy, says Statsy, deserve an edge for their previous success. Yep. And can we just leave Test cricket alone? Don't mix 50 over and T20 into the greatest form of cricket, no matter how weak the opposition. Look, I I think in this scenario... Statsy, I think that there's a fair argument, although yesterday's result may have changed that, there's a fair argument to say it's definitely worth looking at. Definitely worth looking at. Cumulative points over it because the previous holders of this trophy do deserve an edge for their previous success. But it's, it's you know, it's been going down rapidly at a rate of knots West Indian cricket. So when we get to 1-1, one, one, what, what happens next? Why not keep it alive? How many people are going to be interested in the ODI series? Would you be more interested in an ODI series if there were points on the line that, that went to a greater trophy up for grabs? Maybe, maybe not. You're happy with the way it is, and um, you're happy to have your say, Statsy. Good to hear from you, mate. And let's uh, continue the back and forth throughout 2024. Matty, I'm not sure anyone was taking pleasure out of Australia losing the test, but as lovers of the game, we know how much that win meant to the people of the Caribbean and the joy and happiness that goes with it. We've been blessed with success for 30-plus years, and I couldn't help but be happy for West Indies cricket. Well said, Simon. Thank you for that. Simon from Balgani. Easiest job in sport, says our mate, the reptile, English test side coach. Just have to say basball every interview and make excuses. Well... The English um, had a 28-run win over India and fought back hugely. And Ollie Pope was one of the stars of the show, along with Tom Hartley. Ollie Pope, 196. Tom Hartley, seven wickets. So there's another seven for this man on Dabu, who got absolutely tanned in his first over and first innings. Comes out and takes seven for, and the English win the opening test of a five-match series, the opening test played in Hyderabad. Thank you for that, Reptile, 0457 736 736. Andy Reid's had a bit to say off the back of the Kansas City Chiefs making it into another Super Bowl. Let's hear from the coach of the Chiefs. I'm so proud of these guys right here, huh? So proud of them. I'm also, listen, I'm proud of the job that John has done here in Baltimore. He's a phenomenal football coach. The city's lucky to have him. This is different doing it down here in Baltimore, but it's a great city. We appreciate the hospitality. Most of all, though, Kansas City, we love you, man. I tell you, the way your team played all around both sides of the ball, Coach Spags and his defense and that plan really worked well today, too. Spags did an amazing job. Uh, really, all our coordinators did. Nagy on the offensive side, Dave Tobe with the special teams. It was a joint effort. Everybody rallied it together. But Spags, that defense, man, they were dirty tough today. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Congratulations, Andy. Jim, I appreciate you. Thank you. Nobody better. Thank you, pal. I pre- ah, he's got it all, hasn't he, Andy? He's got it all. He's he, <laughs> he's got he's got the talk that resonates with all levels. He's he's all over Jim there in the interview. You know, 
nobody better, all that kind of stuff. But they're off to Allegiant Stadium. And now the NFC Championship is about to take place. So I was hoping for a 10.30 start, but I think we're now about five minutes away, perhaps. Maybe a little bit more. Anyway, once they get on, we'll have the scores for you. But we need to take a break. 2am, Tommy's going to have his wash up from the weekend after this. Uh, the Detroit Lions are on the board early. So they've got a 7 nothing lead over the 49ers. Play just getting underway a couple of minutes ago. So striking early, the Lions. And they've got that early lead. So that's underway. Don't forget Jimmy Smith back today. So James is back in the office, um, back in his executive suite. And he'll be ready to rumble for afternoons. And Joel and Fletch, the fellas, return tomorrow for the run home. Which leaves outstanding Voss and Alexander. What have they got? A couple of more weeks? A couple of more weeks, and then they're back. All right, and we'll have the full compliment back for 2024. 2 a.m. Tommy. Got some coins on the table, uh, ready to rumble for yet another week as we wrap up the weekend. Morning to you, mate. Morning, Matty, Maestro, all the listeners out there. Yeah, fascinating weekend of sport. Oz Open, uh, cricket yesterday, and, of course, the AFC and NFC Championship football mm. this morning. Riveting so stuff. What took your fancy? I mean, out of out of everything that have occurred across the weekend, what do you think sat at the top of it all? It was the cricket for me. It was yesterday. I mean, the, the interesting part was as well, I, I watched the start of the cricket and then watched the last about two hours and missed a bit of the middle part. Um, is I remember um, I was watching the Fox cricket coverage and Isha Gul was saying, all right, Australia have done the hard stuff. They've gotten through the first 30 minutes, haven't lost a wicket. Green and Smith settling in. They looked comfortable. And it was really interesting as well because after the first test against the Windies and in the first innings, everyone was like, oh, a lot of people were saying, is this experiment working? Green at four, Smith opening. Is it going to be a success for Australia? And I was just thinking, okay, if Green and Smith can get here unscathed and put on a big partnership, Smith can get a century, Green can get, I don't know, 60 or 70 odd, and both finish not out, it was silence of critics. Even though it's against the Windies, Finish not out, silence the critics. Green gets out, chops on, hits his elbow, chops on, and then the wickets just collapse. Mm. The wickets just go, Travis Head, King Pear, um, and then St- I, I don't know what Stark was got. Mitch Stark was batting well, playing well. Just went for 21 it. off whatever, and then just went for it. It was like, he needed 45 runs to win from there when Stark mm. got out. I was like, just play it safe. There's no time restriction. You can be out there for two hours and score 40 runs. doesn't matter. Just get the win. So it was a bit strange like that. Pat Cummins got an absolute peach from Shamar Joseph. And it was riveting, riveting stuff. I mean, just a historic day for the West Indies. But also still disappointing. Like, you can't take away from the fact that we were on massive, massive odds. Or Sorry, the West Indies were massive odds to beat us. We were massive favorites and we lose. It's It can also be disappointing, but also like riveting and exciting for the future of Test cricket. You're right about the way that the wickets tumbled after Cameron Green left. And Green batted well, 42 off his 73 deliveries. But then the king pair for Travis Head, Mitchell Marsh gone for 10, Alex Carey gone for two, Uh, Mitchell Stark 21 off 14 balls, Pat Cummins got one that jagged away from him. And by that stage, um, Joseph was in full flight. He was gone for two, Nathan Lyon out for nine, and then Josh Hazelwood absolutely skittled for a duck, and they're all out for 207. What do you make as a, as a punter? Yep. Right? What do you make just as a punter only seeing former Aussies, former Aussie players 
enjoying the success of people that they're working with, essentially, but enjoying mm-hmm. the success of opposition teams. Well, as you said, and no shock to anyone here, I've never played or represented Australia at any single level, so I can't really speak on that. But it is, it's weird. I will just say that. I do find it weird when, but also at the same time, like you look at Gilly sitting next to Brian Lara, they're all, they're great mates. Yeah. So Gilly's just happy to see one of his great mates happy. So it's weird, but understandable. It's weird, but understandable. hundred percent agree. And, but I do get where Tim Payne is coming from, where he's a former Australian captain, very, very fierce out there on the field. And he would have been, well, hang on. Why is, I'm not going to point out, but why are the Fox cricket, why are they celebrating? Why are the channel seven guys celebrating? But like he, I think Tim Payne is deservedly in his right to have that say, but also say someone like Ricky Ponning, if he was celebrating or saying congratulations to Ian Bishop in Channel 7, I'd have no problem with that. Like he's, he, he's got the respect and he deserves to celebrate in, each, in whatever way. If he's disappointed, he can be disappointed. If he wants to celebrate with the former Windies player, he can do that because he's earned that right, in my sense. When it panned out the way that it panned out, how much thought did you put into the future of Test cricket? At that time. No, I didn't. I just said, this is awesome for the Windies. Um, I was just complete, just, I was just transfixed by Shamar Joseph, first of all, because kind of been following his progress because of Barat and how he's followed his progress yeah. from his debut last test match. So that wasn't my first thought at all. My first thought was, oh my God, this is amazing. And my second thought was, I wish there was another test match being played in a few days time. Mm-hmm. Because how cool would it be? for then the Windies to have this added pressure now. No one was expecting them to win that test match, but now they go from the Hunters to the Hunted. 1-1 one, 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 drawn series, gone to a decider in Hobart. Imagine if we go to Hobart or to Canberra, to Monica Oval. Like that would, be, that would be awesome. So that was my first thought. And then it was, okay, how do we get to see more of the West Indies cricket team and how then do they capitalise on this success? Very, very interesting. And a... I think a, a good unpacking of, of what unfolded there. We were close. What did you say? Three and a half days? I said three and a half, but I said over by the first session on day four. So it finished mid-second session. Mm. So I was wrong in that regard. I, but, th- I thought the two big players were going to be the pink ball and the weather. Mm-hmm. And they beat the weather. They beat the weather. Well, it was, it was bucketing down yesterday morning. So mm. luckily it was a day-night test in that sense. Matty, can I just say one thing as well? People questioning kind of Pat Cummins' leadership and performance. And I know it's kind of the low-hanging fruit just to say, uh, you know, his woke should focus on his cricket rather than his politics. He was, it was nearly a match-saving performance in the first innings by him with the bat. Mm. Do, do people forget that? He scored, what was it, yes, 64? They do. Yeah, clearly they do. He had 64, which was his highest test score with the bat. 60, sorry, yeah, 64 not out of 73 balls. He had eight fours and one six. Strike rate of 88, just under 88. And he was just named ICC Cricketer of the Year, as we spoke about last week. And he was the player of the series against Pakistan, where he had three consecutive fivers. And as you said, they're not thinking about that when they go onto the field. The West Indian players are not thinking about the whole Australia Day thing. They probably didn't even know what was going on before the test match. So can we just criticise or question, like, we can separate that from the fact some people can't, Tommy. You know that. Bulldog Bob says, can you imagine the interest level if a third Australia v West Indies test was played later this week? It would be outstanding. It'd be Absolutely awesome. Absolutely it would. It'd be awesome. And that's where scheduling gets you every time. And scheduling is going to be the biggest issue and continues, not is going to be, continues to be the biggest issue that international cricket has. But also we've, well, I've seen as well, the West Indian um, like cricketing organisation, they said they lose money on test matches and test mm. tours. 
So that's why you see more one days. That's why you see more T20 matches. But it is a real, real shame. Correct. Nice work, Tommy. Back after this. Player of the program on this Monday morning, which has been frantic this morning. NFC uh, Championship underway and the Detroit Lions, the championship match here, lead the San Francisco 49ers 7 nothing. So an early touchdown for the Lions as they look to try and make their first ever Super Bowl. Waiting for them, the Kansas City Chiefs, who have defeated the Baltimore Ravens earlier this morning. Matt on the text line has said, KC were never 15 bucks. 850 is the best you could get from them uh, all season. Yeah, look, I, d- I didn't follow that. I just saw that text message there, and I actually said to the maestro here in the studio, geez, if they, I don't know on that, I would have had a crack. Um, they were, it's been an interesting season for the Chiefs, hasn't it? They've just been a little bit ropey along the way, but back end, Super Bowl on the line, the form guide that they've had over the last five years in particular, 15 bucks, 850 still a good price to have a good look. Gamble responsibly. 7 nothing is the score. Detroit Lions over the 49ers. You can catch every NFL game this season with Game Pass, and it's only on DAZN, so nflgamepass.com is the place to go. Louis says, I guess declaring 22 runs behind in the first innings was the wrong move. We've discussed that this morning, Louis. Um, was it? Don't know. At the end of the day, there was only eight runs in it. So you'd be backing yourself to get there with the kind of lineup that Australia has. But how do you bank for a seven for from Shamar Joseph? Well, perhaps you should have. Not sure. I, I can't see too many people saying that the declaration was the reason. Although you think that that was the wrong move? Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Let's hear from the winners and losers from last night at uh, Melbourne Park. So Yannick Sinner, of course, very emotional and very proud after getting his first Grand Slam title with a five-sets win. Coming back from two sets down against the number three player in the world, a bloke who's in his seventh Grand Slam finals. I've been there plenty of time. Won one, and yes, yet to win at the Australian Open, Medvedev. So he was 0 for 3 after last night. But here he is in his seventh Grand Slam final, and Yannick Sinner... The 22-year-old takes him down in five sets. Everyone who is watching from home, um, especially my family, I I wish that everyone could have um, my parents because they always let me let me choose whatever I wanted to. Um, even when I was younger, I I made so, also some other sports, and then then they never put pressure on myself, and 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 I wish that this freedom is, is is possible for as many young kids as possible. So thank you so much for for my parents. Yeah, that's it. I I don't know anymore what to say. <laughs> so guys, see you see you next year. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> There you go, fan favourite already. He's from a little village called San Candido in it, in Italy. Lives in Monaco, but is from a village which is right up towards the Austrian border. Um, meanwhile, Daniil Medvedev, two sets up, looking for his first Australian Open title, ends up three hours and forty four minutes later, losing his third finals appearance at Melbourne Park. Yeah, different feeling, different circumstances, I would say. So uh, now I'm dreaming uh, more than ever, probably not today, but in general in life. 
but I would say it's n not anymore a kid who's dreaming. It's me myself right now, a 27-year-old who's dreaming and who's doing everything that is possible for for my future and for my present, and I love it, and that's why I made it to the final. Yeah, I, I didn't think much about Rafa match uh, because I really tried to, to, to leave it behind, uh, so I don't think it had any issues. Otherwise, there would be many, many matches during the seasons where I would lose. And today, again, I didn't didn't feel like uh, suddenly when I was two sets to love up, I stopped playing and kind of, you know, let's say went behind the baseline, started doing like lobs. If tomorrow I don't feel my legs, it doesn't matter. I'm going to try everything I can today till the last point, and I did it. And there were some points in the end where he was not, I mean, adrenaline going, but he didn't seem as tired as my opponents before. So he started playing better. I got a little bit tired, serve went a little bit worse. So the momentum changed and I really tried in my mind to change it back again because that's what tennis is about. But I didn't manage to do it and that's why he's a winner and he has a trophy. He speaks well, doesn't he? 27 years of age, so he's five years Yannick Sinner's senior. Um, obviously still much younger than Novak Djokovic. He lost the final in 2021, in 2022. He only made the third round last year, makes it all the way again this year. Is a Grand Slam winner already, already after winning the US Open back in 2021. And he's also lost a couple of times there um, in finals as well. So he knows what it's like and how to get to the final week, the final day rather, of a Grand Slam tournament. However, the other results, so take away the finals, when, when he goes the distance, he, he's still on the opposite side of the ledger in terms of win-loss. But he has early exits at the French. He doesn't do very well at the French. One, two, three, four, five out of eight um, first round, five out of seven first round exits on clay. A bit of a Checkered run at Wimbledon as well. He missed 2020 and 2022. And he made the semi-finals there last year, but has been knocked out in the third or fourth round, mostly at Wimbledon. So it's a, it's a little bit all over the shop for Daniil Medvedev. He still had a very successful career. He's made almost $40 million in prize money. Um, and he's already got a Grand Slam title. I, I think the real question in the world of men's tennis is not who's next for filling the Novak spot. You know, the, the big three are going, if not gone. Roger's gone. Rafa's just about gone. Novak's still got a few years left in him. So it's not who's the next big thing because we, we already know that. For me, Medvedev's definitely one to watch. And I had the feeling, I said on Friday, and I, I sort of went, you know, listeners, you're going to say the duh. But I had the feeling that the winner would come out of that Novak versus Sinner match. I thought if Sinner got on top of him, then he'd keep going because Medvedev and Sverev, a little bit concerning to me when it comes to delivering in the final. 0457 736 736. Bulldog Bob says, as a Sydney Sixers fan, uh, get the checkbook out for Shamar Joseph. <laughs> well, he said money won't get him. Those T20 tournaments won't get him. He's already got good deals. Let's talk boxing. And Tim Zoo's locked in a fight over there in Vegas. It's at the end of March. Ben Damon is with us. This fight will be exclusive to main event in Australia. G'day, Benny. What does this mean for Tim Zoo? It's not a title fight, but it's putting him right in the focus of that big American audience. 
Yeah, g'day, Matty. Uh, no, it's not a title fight, and that's really unfortunate because Tim Zhu is the reigning WBO Super Welterweight World Champion. But Keith Thurman's been out of the ring a little while. He's a former unified welterweight champion of the world, one of the biggest stars in the US. But because he's been a bit quiet lately, uh, recovering from an injury and having some time off, uh, the WBO has decided not to sanction this as a world title defence for Tim. But that doesn't mean it's not a tough fight. Thurman's very, very good. And, uh, yeah, this is certainly a step up again for Tim Zhu. And on the card, which is an historic card, being the opening of a new broadcast deal with Amazon Prime for the PVC, the promoters over there in the United States, there's a number of other world title fights. So Tim Zhu's the main event, but uh, all three other fights that'll be on the pay-per-view broadcast are all legitimate world title fights. So it's a serious card and an historic event and a great honour that Tim Zhu has been given to open uh, an event like this, uh, to, to headline an event like this, which opens a new broadcast deal in the mecca of boxing at the T-Mobile Arena, the biggest venue in all of Vegas. <laughs> I'll talk about the broadcast side in just a sec. I've had some um, dealings with Amazon Prime out here. I, I hosted their swimming coverage when they put in, their foot in the water for, so to speak, for um, sports coverage in Australia. And as you say, this is a big one in terms of boxing and for the changing landscape on that. But just back to Tim Zhu and his team, they've shown that they can be flexible. You, you, when you get to Tim Zhu's sort of world, sometimes you don't have to be flexible, do you, Ben? But they've shown that they're prepared to be flexible to take fights that are on offer that may not necessarily garner a world title, but work for you in other ways. Yeah, well, the decision that Tim Zhu and his coach Igor made was just to stay active. That's been their number one priority. So they've chased Jamel Charlo for what seems like an era now, but um, they just can't get him. And they're not going to be getting him anytime soon because he's got some... uh, some legal issues now and some other things going on in his life and he's just been made a champion in recess by the WPC which essentially means he's not a world champion uh, so they've been chasing him but while they've been doing that they've been staying active he pulled out injured he pulled out for uh, the reason that he went up to fight Canelo Alvarez as well and in between times they've fought Tony Harrison who at that stage was the only man ever to have beat Charlo mm. they fought Carlos Acampo who's a former world title challenger that Tim got rid of in a round and then they brought out the biggest puncher in the division Brian Mendoza and fought and beat him and now they're going straight into a fight with Keith Thurman that they can't even de- uh, defend their belt uh, in. So yeah, they're very willing to be flexible to take on pretty much anyone that's thrown at them and that's the beauty of, of uh, Tim Zhu and Igor. They uh, they just say yes. Igor's yeah. uh, the same with Nikita. You can pretty much pick any name in the division and within 30 seconds he says yep, no problem. So <laughs> what happened here is Tim's actually been preparing for a number of weeks already for the man they were meant to be fighting, Ericsson Lupin. He's a South so he's a left-handed fighter. He pulled out a week and a half ago and straight away the name Keith Thurman was thrown up, a bigger name. And Tim Zhu and his team said, well, we've been preparing for a Southpaw, but we've got enough time. So, yep, that'll do. We'll fight him. So they're just willing to take on anyone. And it's a refreshing way to be when a lot of uh, the major names in global boxing fight once or twice a year. Tim Zhu's happy to fight four and five times a year if he gets the chance. He's not the kind of bloke to sit around either, is he? So if, you, if you're not having him fighting, and then you've got to take you've got to find other things to keep him occupied. And if he's ready to fight, then let him off the leash. That seems to be the way to, to handle Tim Zoo. So this deal with Amazon Prime, it's, it's really, really interesting. It'll be exclusive to main event here in Australia. But as you well say, I mean, this is a massive deal, mate, and it opens up big, big numbers as well. When Amazon over there in particular decide that they want to go into a sport, they go all in. They paid a billion dollars for one NFL game per week, um, and they will, they will go hard. It, 
what's the feel around the industry about the changing landscape here with another player in? Yeah, it's an interesting time in boxing because you've had sort of the staples in HBO and Showtime in the US. HBO pulled out a few years ago. Showtime have just pulled out. But as soon as they did, this uh, deal with Amazon Prime was sort of rumoured and it was made official a few weeks ago. PVC, um, probably the biggest promoter, uh, well, alongside top rank in the United States, they've done the deal with Amazon Prime. They've got a number of big-name fighters over there. Canelo Alvarez is, is one of those. Um, also, of course, they have a deal with Tim Zhu via No Limit. So, yeah, they're a major player um, in, in a broadcast sense over there. And to have them involved in boxing is really good for the sport. So now you've got ESPN, who've got a deal with Top Rank, and you've got Amazon Prime, a, a deal with PBC, and a number of other players in the market, mainly in a streaming sense with uh, DAZN being the most notable of those. Mm. Really, it doesn't make any difference to us here in the in Australia because um, it's all going to be on main event and Fox Sports and the vast majority of uh, the global and domestic boxing is that way. But it is a, a great honour for Tim Zhu and a lot of pressure as well that he's been given the task of opening up this new broadcast deal. There was a lot of thought that maybe Javonta Davis, who's uh, one of the big pay-per-view stars over there, or even Canelo could open up uh, that deal. But instead, it's, uh, it's fallen to Tim Zhu, Tim Zhu and Keith Thurman. So... Uh, it's an interesting time and just a huge moment for Australian boxing. We don't have many uh, fighters who headline shows internationally, certainly not as the A-side, and we've only ever had one other fighter who was ever headlined a pay-per-view event in America. Jeff Fennick wasn't uh, in a place to do it because the only time he was on pay-per-view in the US, he was the co-main to Mike Tyson. Kostya Zhu was on Showtime all those years, not Showtime pay-per-view, and and so many others have not had this honour, but Tim Zhu... He's getting it in his first fight in Vegas. Yeah, really, really interesting. I'll watch that one very closely to see how that pans out. So 30th of March is the fight. Um, Just a final one. Like on logistics, I'm not sure when they're going to head over there, but we know that the weekend of the 3rd of March, and there was, you know, a lot of talk around this with the NRL double... Uh, double header opening in Las Vegas as well, that Tim Zoo was hopefully going to be tied into that, but he'll be there a couple of weeks after. Is there any sign or any talk that they'll be over there in inside the couple of weeks for Tim to be at least paraded by the NRL perhaps? Yeah, well, he's flying out this morning. So he's actually just boarded a flight. Um, We saw him off at the airport around uh, 9 o'clock this morning. I think the flight leaves at 11.30 or so. So they're going over for a press conference that PBC is doing this week to uh, make it all official. And, yes, he will be a part of uh, the NRL festivities. There's been some conversations had already to get him involved on some level there. So, yes, certainly you'll be seeing Tim Zhu as part of that uh, NRL weekend. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that we were going to have that fight event potentially involving Tim or, or Nikita or both on the Friday night before the NRL. But it's a couple of weeks later, and, gee, it's a big weekend. And it's going to be logistically pretty challenging for us in a broadcast sense because on the Friday night in Arizona, another Australian, Liam Wilson, he fights in a world title eliminator in a fight that will be broadcast on Fox Sports back here. And then we've got, uh, on the Saturday night, Tim Zhu fighting uh, on this massive card on main event pay-per-view. So there's going to be uh, a fair bit of rushing there's a, a talk of a potentially a private jet going back and forth. I'm not sure if that'll happen. You always hear about those, and they always seem to end up on a commercial airline. But uh, hopefully that does work out because, uh, yeah, it's a huge weekend. 
logistically challenging, but, uh, gee, there's some exciting stuff going on. And not only is Tim Zhu on this card, but a couple of fights before him, his great rival in Michael Zarafa fights for a legitimate yeah. world title against Arislandi Lara. So who would have thought when uh, their fight disintegrated a couple of years ago that they'd find themselves on a, an historic card in the United States at the uh, home of boxing at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas uh, on such a significant uh, fight card with the two of them fighting against different opponents. It's just incredible the stage we're at in Australian boxing where all of these names are, are getting these these really big and exciting fights on major shows and becoming some of the real names of the sport globally, not just in Australia. 100%, mate. You've said it so well. Big, big fights and regular big fights as well. It's it's the key without doubt. You're going to be busy. Uh, better let you go. Thanks for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Whitey. Talk to you soon, mate. Ben Damon there. So, Tim Zhu versus Keith Thurman, 30th of March, T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas. And that will be exclusive to main event. Friday, Liam Wilson um, on Fox Sports. So, <laughs> grab the remote, get ready to rumble. And Tim has left this morning. So, just as I was asking that question, I've discovered that he was at Sydney Airport. So, let's have a listen to Tim Zhu this morning bit the frustration of not making a fight with someone like Charlo. I've come to the conclusion I'm never going to fight him because he's a, he's a bit of a coward. I'm finally all the sanctioning bodies are realising that he's a fraud and that, you know, he, he, went, he went so hard to win the belts and you got to go even harder to keep him, you know. And what did he do? He just stopped fighting. And it's unfair for, for the rest of the division. It's held us all up for two or three years. Let him go into hiding and into his little holiday, into his little whatever he does. It's not, not my concern. He's not on the radar at all for anyone anymore at the moment because he's got nothing to bring. So I could hear more and more of Tim Zhu. Sometimes with boxing, I can take it or leave it, all the trash talking and all that kind of stuff. But for some reason, Tim Zhu gets me in because he just squares him up. So that was his say on Jamel Charlo this morning. And as, as Ben said, he's been chasing him forever. And our thanks to Benny Damon, he's, he's all across it. He's been chasing him forever. And now Tim's just going, well, I'm not, not even going to fight him. Touchdown San Francisco. So we've had a few uh, movers and shakers over the last 10 or 15 minutes. It is now 14 points to seven in favour of the Detroit Lions. So the Lions scored again, and then the 49ers have just got on the board just moments ago. So 14 points to seven. The earlier game in the NFL uh, AFC Championship Conference was the Chiefs getting through to the Super Bowl with a 17 points to 10 win over the Baltimore Ravens. So we're in the second quarter of this second match, the AFC Championship, uh, rather the NFC Championship, yep, and it's 14 points to seven in favour of Detroit. Some other results uh, overnight and across the weekend. The Socceroos have won their round of 16 match at the Asian Cup into the quarterfinals against Indonesia 4-0. So, Maestro, you can keep us uh, up to date with that. We'll do that after the news. Let me get to these text messages because they are banking up, as always, on a Monday morning. Thank you so much for this. Dennis the Dog says, Matty, I think most Aussie commentators rejoicing in the win of the West Indies would take them back to the Windies dominator back in the day when they were dominating cricket, Australians or not, we all have a soft spot for them. I'd agree with that too, Dennis. I think there's an absolute soft spot for the West Indies. If you're of my vintage, we loved having the Windies out here. I mean, it was just a different game. Um, and we saw the backflip the other day, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's all part of the Calypso style of play. Matty, surely the easiest job in sport 
is running alongside the stone or rock and curling and sweeping the path with a broom. <laughs> what qualification says Bob do you need other than being able to use a simple broom? That's fair. That is fair. What other qualification? Well, first of all, you've got to be able to stand on the ice. Now, perhaps this is something that we need to investigate further and take the morning show for a live outside broadcast at an ice rink and we'll do ourselves some curling. Perhaps that is the easiest job. Can you try and get Rodney Hogg on the show? But what about that poor crowd at the Gabba? Yeah, we referenced this earlier on. Sunday, everyone just disappeared and got some texts early on about, you know, the weather and all that kind of stuff. But gone are the days, says Joseph, when the gates are opened up for free. I'm, I'm not sure about that, Joseph, on the Gold Coast. But it was disappointing, no doubt about it. It was great that the first couple of days and the Brisbane Heat winning the BBL and then straight into day one of the test and big crowds and great atmosphere. And then Sunday comes along and everyone vanished, just completely vanished. I hope an apparel sponsor comes to the rescue of Matty Ebden's doubles partner, Rohan Bapani, you're talking about, Murray. His kit looked like it came from an AMA bargain barrel with sizes only up to men's. He's 43 years of age. He's been out there forever. You reckon he gives a rat's what he's wearing? Um, but, yeah, righto. Perhaps he needs a bit more fine-tuning in the, in the dress code. Paul says it would be awesome to see a third test. We had a couple of those. Um, easiest job in sport, Kev, rugby league touch judge. Can you please let me know what they do? The last touchy to have any input in the game was Phil Gould running on to say, I didn't see anything. <laughs> oh, dear. Malcolm Marshall says Simon was the best fast bowler I've seen. And this Shamar Joseph is lightning fast, moves the ball both ways in the air and off the seam, and is fast becoming my favourite player in world cricket. I haven't seen anything quite like him since those great West Indian bowlers of the mid 1980s. Well, time will tell where the career of Shamar Joseph goes, but he kept the pace up yesterday, not only with the attack that he was putting down on the Australian batsman, but the pace that he was putting down with that injury. That is not easy to do. But somehow, I mean, obviously some medication helped along the way, but somehow managed to get through all of that work and all of those wickets with a pretty severe toe injury. Uh, all in all, an extraordinary performance. Let's go to the news. Maestro, you'll bring us up to speed with the Socceroos after this. Thank you, Vanessa. 14 points to seven. The Lions lead San Francisco in this final championship game today for the right to meet the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 58. So 14 to seven in the second quarter of play we are. Now, Maestro, the Socceroos, 4-0 mm. over Indonesia, which means we're into the Asian Cup quarterfinals. What's, what's been the take on this? Normally I, normally I wake up and I see Socceroos have won, but... But, <laughs> well, so the most exciting bit of this is we've only considered one goal across the four games so far. So that's the promising thing. For the people that are staying up and watching it, there have been complaints, mainly because the games have not been particularly exciting and the Socceroos are a big part of that. It's not just the opposition uh, uh, wilting under pressure. In fact, quite the opposite. They've they've stood up. Indonesia even last night were 2-0 down until the late stages where the Socceroos sort of got over the top of them with Harry Suta finally getting a goal from a set piece, which was expected to be our main route to goal. 
I actually thought Australia were more enterprising last night. Riley McGree, although he was in fits and starts, was in the starting lineup, which I thought was a positive. Bruno Fornaroli got a start. He was the big bolter before the tournament um, after such a terrific start in the A-League with Melbourne Victory, the 36-year-old Uruguayan-born striker. Came in for Cassini Yangi, who'd replaced Mitch Duke. That's been a, a big juggle for Graham Arnold, having a, a fit striker that, that plays the style that he wants to play. And now we get our biggest test of the tournament in the quarterfinal because it'll either be Son Heung-min and South Korea, who Spurs fans will know well, playing under Ange Postacoglu in the English Premier League or Saudi Arabia, who we've uh, found troubles with mm. over the last four years or so. So if we do get through that game, I'd, I'd back us to make the final because we've got a, a little bit more open side of the draw. That's not to say Iraq, who we'd potentially meet in the semi-final, uh, will be any pushover, but it's certainly a clearer path than the other side of the draw, which have teams like Japan and Iran um, sort of lurking there. So it's a big game coming up for us in the quarterfinal, and we'll find out who we're taking on on Wednesday morning at 3 a.m. when the Saudis take on South Korea. Okay. Who do we want to take on? <laughs> That's a really good question. South Korea are probably one of, if not the most purely talented team at the tournament. The problem is they haven't played very well. Um, Jürgen Klinsmann is their coach, the the German former German international who took his national team to third place at a home World Cup in 2006. South Korean uh, players, fans, press are not happy with his management. Uh, talk about the criticism that Graham Arnold, I think, cops unfairly sometimes. Certainly, Jurgen Klinsmann's getting his fair share of that, although I tend to think that that's rather fair, given their performances. They were held three all by Malaysia, who are have been non-existent. It was their mm. first points ever at an Asian Cup, and they managed to get them against a, a powerhouse like South Korea. Saudis have been a, a little bit more comprehensive in their performances, got through the group without losing a game, and without really being challenged, they've got a, a big task on their hands that they probably weren't expecting on Wednesday morning. So, um, the, look... I think we'll be underdogs, whoever we take on, in all okay. honesty, going into that game. But that's not to say I don't think we can get a result the way that we're we're set up. And the, the character that this team has shown they have at the World Cup in Qatar, um, not more just over a year ago. So, yeah, flip of the coin. Watch uh, this It'll space. be difficult either way. All right. Garby will be on the show tomorrow. Um, so we'll talk more with... Uh, host of the Global Game right here on SEN, Daniel Garb. Now, Tommy, um, the Brisbane crowd says one of our listeners missed a performance for the ages. Why did nobody show up with the game in the balance like that? One of the best bowling performances since Joel Garner, and I don't think anyone's unhappy to see the West Indies win. So, look, yeah, just missed missed the trick at the end of it all. I mean, I'm sure they were watching at home, and we'll get the figures, Oh, actually, as of very soon. The new rating system. Yeah, so what's the time it comes out now? I th- I, from what I understand, it's 11.30. Okay. But okay. It's, a, it's a different rating system. And also I read that when it comes to the video on demand stuff, so, you know, all the streaming stuff mm-hmm. that, that goes alongside everything at the moment, um, viewers only have to switch on for 15 seconds to be counted as a viewer. Really? So I haven't seen what the format's going to be, but, you know, we wake up and we go, a 3.2 million watched the Australian yeah. Open last night, and that's up 15% last year, and then they break down the demographics, all that hoo-ha. If that's the case with 15 seconds as a time period to be counted as a viewer, oh, of course. Up they go. That's a bit. That's CV ratings or those ratings numbers were way up It's not go. a lot, though, is it, 15 seconds? It's not. It's nothing. 
It's 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 not, but you've got to be there. Okay, 14-7 is the score. Detroit Lions lead the 49ers. Uh, eight minutes to go in the second half of this uh, second quarter, so still plenty to go. Um, easiest job in sport. Yep. I've had some, had some nominees here. Uh, 12th man on an NBA roster. They don't see a lot of game time. And the yep. minimum salary in the NBA is $1.1 US million. So they're probably on about that. Okay. And, and different to a 12th man in cricket. Yeah. You actually got to do stuff. You actually got to do stuff. And and they do stuff. They're there for morale. They're usually, a lot of the times, they're veteran players. So they're there to kind of um, help out the younger guys. If if there's a blowout, if there's a blowout win and there's about five, six minutes left in the match, all the stars usually get rested and they bring on these kind of lower rung players just to play at the match, just to protect them, you know, protect the stars from injuries and whatnot. But they're they're not running on, you know. Like, like we do with gloves and all sorts of stuff. We're, they're not running on headbands and sweatbands. No, no, no. Well, no, the bench is right there <laughs> as well. So they can that's just right. walk off. No, <laughs> nah, but they're there for morale. Good to be around like the locker it. room, all that's, that stuff. That's a good shout. Um, Alex, you can weigh in here as well. I reckon third string NFL quarterback. Yeah, now, they, I like that ooh, one. They need to know all like the schemes and the plays and everything. But like, how often do... Do you, do you reckon Ooh. they get to a third string? Well, that's what Brock Purdy did all right as a, a third string quarterback. That's a good this point. Today. So see I, see, I reckon what you just said there is the key. They've still got to do the work. Yeah, that's mm. fair enough. Is it an easy job when you still got to know all the players? Yeah, and I think it was the Cleveland Browns this year went through to their fourth string yeah, quarterback, Joe right. Flacco, who's about 39 years old. Uh, um, so, yeah, um, maybe I'm a bit too harsh with that one. And just to shout it to all the Rabbitohs fans out there, the easiest job of the NRL <laughs> – um, <laughs> Alex go. Johnson and being a left side oh, winger oh, for the yeah. South Sydney Rabbitohs. Thank God you've got Latrell Mitchell. Thank God you've got oh, Cody Walker. All you got to do is just it. stroll over there on the left-hand side and just pop pop the ball down. Can I just put another quick one quickly? Is uh, a third-string goalkeeper in in football as well, which Mark Schwartzer did with great aplomb late in his career yeah. um, and then was brought on in a, a very crucial game. There were injuries and suspensions to Chelsea. Went to Anfield. And played in the game where Steven Gerrard slipped over, handed the title to Manchester City, mm-hmm. and Schwartzy kept a, a clean sheet that day. So, um, and Scott Carson has been carried now by Manchester City for ten years, and I think has gone on the field three times under Pep Guardiola and his predecessor Roberto Mancini. So that's not a bad gig. Either. Touchdown Lions, they're in again. Jamai Gibbs. So that makes twenty points to seven with the. Kick to come. So the Lions continuing to push away. That'd be a massive story if it's the Lions through to their first ever Super Bowl. Um, yeah, 20 points to seven. Five and a half minutes still to go, or just, sorry, just under six minutes to go in the second quarter, and this will be successful. That'll make it 21 points to seven. So the Detroit Lions on the march against the 49ers. Um, Matty, you've been speaking about as well this morning about should we get rid of retaining the series trophy in cricket um, we had a Twitter poll, obviously, 59% of people are in favour of getting rid of retaining a series trophy. We had one person on Twitter, shout out to Jordan Bankston, say, how about play a three-test series as a minimum? Imagine playing a third test in Hobart or Canberra with a live series result. And I'm, mm. I'm a big fan of this. I remember we used to play India sometimes in four-match series. I believe mm. this series last year against India in India was four-match series as well. And they won, I mean, I know they won that 2-1, but still, I just don't like even numbered. And we're going to play New Zealand in March in a two-match series. That doesn't make sense either. Scheduling, I told you. Uh, Matt from Raceview says, in defence of the Brizzy crowd yesterday, which we pointed out, from 1am to 10am, Brisbane received close to 100 mils of rain. 
It was a million degrees and a 2 p.m. start on a Sunday, but the crowds for the first three days were excellent. Yes, absolutely. Um, counted as a viewer after 15 seconds. Hope they only saw an ad. Sounds like free-to-air TV might be funding the new rating systems. Well, the free-to-air TV networks own the rating systems. Um, Oztam is owned by the commercial free-to-air networks and has been since it was formed. So it's a different way of um, calculating the number that is going to be provided to the public and therefore the advertisers and sales departments, unlike what they've had for a long, long time. So can I ask you a question? We saw the Matildas finally break Leighton yep. Hewitt's long-standing record of the yep. highest-rated TV program, which one Matt White was hosting that night. Um, can you see that Damn. being blown out of the water in a uh, rather shorter time this time? If there's another... 18 years? If there's another... Well, we'll find out today because I actually don't know. Okay. I don't know what it's... I, I've Honestly, I've read about it because I've got a vested interest in it and I still can't understand what they're going to do. Okay. <laughs> but the numbers should go up. Mm. There's no doubt about it. However, that those Matilda's numbers are so far off the charts. I'm trying to think of when when's that going to happen again. Mm. So the next time that happens again, that amazing everything comes together again, yeah, it'll probably blow it out of the water. Mm. But like in Olympics and stuff, as big as it's going to be, won't be the same as what the Matildas did in the World Cup. Not overnight. Not overnight. Mm. Won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Look out, folks. Jimmy Smith's back and he's ready to rumble. So we're slowly piecing together everyone back in the office. Yes. Right? The new look office too. And your, wow. your executive suite's looking beautiful. So, so When will that be completed? Uh, late 2028 was what, the... Your suite? Yeah. Well, that's the problem, mate. We haven't been able to get into the studio yet because they're still putting the finishing touches to your executive right. suite. I had the opportunity to go to SoFi Stadium. We did a stadium tour. Yes. Sorry, just drop Because you've done... Yeah, just, oh, just pick that one up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they took us into... So there's an owner's box on one side. Yeah, for the LA Rams, and then an owner's box on the other side for the San Diego, or oh, sorry, LA Chargers. Uh, and we went into the Stan Gronky LA Rams owner one. Yeah, oh, the bomb, opulent. <laughs> it was mag- everything is shaped like a football, an NFL football. Just to remind yourself, yeah, that's right. I'm at a football. What do you stadium. mean everything? Like the bar, tables, tables, really? lounges. Yeah, wow, very cool, very wow. cool. There is only one person who is allowed to have uh, an individual corporate space for both franchises. Who do you reckon it is? There's only one person. One person. One person they let do that. So you either got to pick Rams or Chargers. Except this one guy. He doesn't have to pick. Just turn up whenever you like. I don't know. LeBron James. Uh, LeBron James. They go, mate, you're LeBron. You want to support the Chargers when the Rams aren't playing? You go for your life. Turn up. Yeah. So he's got the free pass. He can go both. He can go across both. Wow. Yeah. He's the only one. Wow. Good trip. Had a great trip. So obviously Tracy's family over there, but uh, had a bit of a holiday in there as well and then got to do some cool stuff. Could have come home five days earlier. But anyway, that's (laughs) that's just me. Shout out to everyone listening in LA. Now, listen, when you, exactly, when you take over, um, this game will still be going, but the Lions wow. looking good here against the Niners. This is incredible. So they're up 14 0 now. It's 14 7. They dragged it back to 49ers. 21 7, the line. This is the biggest story in American sports at the moment. Like everyone whose team is out is now supporting the Lions. Yeah. 
that you know they haven't had this success in the postseason since 1991, and it's just inc- there is nothing. Did you see the number of people at Ford Field watching this game on a big screen? It's full. The stadium is full, and you know why? Because beyond shoveling snow from your driveway, there is nothing, nothing to, to do. do in Michigan. <laughs> I said that to Two Buck Chuck, and he said, "You go to the Ford Museum and go to the tour." I said, "Yep, yeah. you could. That's Saturday done. <laughs> what are you going to do on Sunday? <laughs> go back. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I missed a little part from 1950 to 1974. That was a great, a great era in Ford. But it's it's an amazing story. How would you go with the all white uniform? I mean, all they they are they are white gear on today from head to toe. Yes. Right? Yes. How would you go latter stages of your career? <laughs> I'm just looking at number 74 for the Detroit Lions right now. It's not very flattering, is no. it? No. No. They don't care though, do they? No. Well, exactly. Hey, let it all hang. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're <laughs> now, being very well paid to look ridiculous. Listen, what's coming up on your return bout? Uh, so, new theme song. Yes. New theme song. New year, new Actually, theme I heard song. You, I heard yeah. you working with that. That was Alex, yep, yep. Uh, our man Mulchy, uh, Maestro, doing that one. Okay. However, so new theme song, yep. new year, same old me. Same stuff. <laughs> you know what you're hearing last year on the afternoon program? We'll roll out a fair bit more of that, I suggest. with a new theme song. New theme song, exactly. <laughs> you just encase it in something new. I'll tell you what's new today too. Brooksy. Brooksy's in. Yeah, Brooksy's yeah. looking after me today. Yeah. Tell you why. He's just like, and then you do this, and then you do this, and yeah. then you, I'm like, Brooksy, we just Man. let it breathe a little bit Man, in we, the we, we fired our shot today, and it's a new theme song. <laughs> exactly. That keeps us going for a month. That's it. My work here is done. <laughs> My work here is done. Well, listen, you better ease back into it. Are you ready? Yeah, I sort of am. Yeah. It's but every time a producer, every producer works differently. So yeah. you're now you're working like usually I've got these sheets of paper now. Brooks, oh Google Doc, Google, yeah. I'll send you the Google Doc. Google Doc's great. Yeah. I'm tipping first hour of the show. Yes, is open line and texts around whether or not you like the new theme song. <laughs> it could be. Like, there's an hour. Like we've had, we've had over the course of the last seventy two hours some of the most extraordinary sport. Yeah, for ages. But, oh but no. we'll talk about whether the theme song's any good or not. <laughs> good to see we picked up where we left off too. Exactly. Total gibberish what for about three or four minutes. What are we going to talk about? Well, I don't know. Same stuff. We'll work it Have out. Have a good one, mate. Thanks, Matty. Uh, we'll finish it off with a text message or two. This one from Graham says there was a small crowd at the Gabba because the locals expected it to be over by Saturday at the latest and made other plans for Sunday. Well, the early Sunday weather didn't help. And also he said, what about the forearms? On Shamar Joseph. Some of those shots I ripped beyond belief. Uh, thank you for that, Graham. Appreciate that one. 21 points to 17. The Detroit Lions lead the 49ers, the winner of this, to go into Super Bowl 58. Already waiting. The Kansas City Chiefs are there again after dispatching the Baltimore Ravens this morning. So we've kicked off the working week with a few poses today. Thank you for bringing some questions to the table. We'll continue to cover everything in the world of sport throughout the day right here. Jimmy Smith makes his return very soon and we'll be back again tomorrow morning nice and early, so I'll catch you then. Bye for now.